Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. Excited to begin a brand new message series today called Power Up. Um, how many of you play video games at all or have played in your past? Um, if you haven't raised your hand, some of you are lying. I know it. You just don't want to, people to call you out. Uh, some of you are you know, a little bit at the age where you're ashamed to admit that you still play video games. It's okay. It's a safe place. That's what we're here at church. Um, but when we talk about power up, I remember playing video games at the all times and you face a struggle and you're trying to get to the next level and all of a sudden there's that power up that you hit. It gives you extra strength, extra courage to be able to make it through to the next level. And did you know that in the Christian life that God gives us, information to be able to help us power up to be able to get through some of the most difficult periods in our life. And that's what I'm really excited about. The next nine weeks, we're going to take one principle that God gives us that we can apply every week to be able to help us to do exactly what God calls us to do. And we're going to start with one principle that is overarching. And so in order to kick this off, let me kind of share this with you. Um, A special thanks to Pastor Aaron for filling in last week and sharing uh, from God's word. And uh, my family and I, we were in Boone, North Carolina in the mountains and just to kind of get away and retreat. And we were heading back on Friday. And as we were, we were in the Charlotte area and we were going around the loop and uh, we were in the fast lane. If you're a police officer, I was doing the speed limit, I promise. Uh, And so then as we were traveling down that speed limit, down doing the speed limit in that fast lane, I noticed up ahead that there were some brake lights that were hitting. And so right away, I I started to kind of apply pressure to my brakes because I could see, wow, everyone in the right two lanes are flying and the fast lane, for whatever reason, something must happen. Then all of a sudden, I had my app, Waze app up, and it said, caution, object in the road ahead. So I said, okay, that must be the reason why. So I right away started slowing down and I could see ahead of me, the car in front of me wasn't slowing down. The car ahead of him was, he wasn't paying attention. And I could see, uh uh-oh, this is not going to be good because there are cars on a standstill just up ahead. So all of a sudden you start hearing screeching of tires. You're seeing people just slam on the brakes. I look in my rear view mirror and there's a guy flying behind me, even though I have my brakes on. And at the last second, he swerved right out of the way. He almost hit us. It would have been terrible. Um, and the car in front of me slammed on his brakes. We were fine. We, we, we gave it plenty of distance. Um, and then we came to a, a standstill. It was very dangerous. And so as we went ahead, there were two cars in the front that actually got into a fender bender and they pulled off finally to the side of the road. They got the object off and we were able to go by them. And as we were going by them, um, you know, I was just worried, are they okay? Is everything going to happen? And the car in front of me decided to take a different approach. You know, again, in life, we face situations and all of us have a different response. Well, the person in front of me decided to give a different kind of encouragement because as he was kind of slowly driving by, I saw him roll down his window and I have my 11 year old in the car and he got an education on what it means to give the number one side with the wrong finger. And I remember looking and just going, what, what is the deal? You know, I mean, why would you do that? These guys just got into an accident because something's in the road. What would cause someone to be that angry to be able to do something like that? Um, but isn't it true, depending on the context, depending on the situation, depending on how much information that you know, we all respond differently in different ways in life. And the writer of the book of Corinthians, Paul, he is going to really encourage us today because he understands that it's difficult as Christians to respond the right way. 
And he's going to remind us of the right way to respond. But in order to really kick this off, um, there's a charge about what we call the fruits of the Spirit. And the, the fruits of the Spirit are what we're supposed to allow as Christians to be able to guide our lives. In fact, in the book of Galatians, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to show you really quick. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, it says this. I always turn to the right. You OCD people, you're freaking out because i got the TV over here. Sorry, we're going to go this way. It says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be able to, you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Now, we've talked about this before, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you follow him, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And what that Holy Spirit does is when a situation occurs and when you have to react to something, your Holy Spirit tells you, hey, this is the right way to do it. But the problem is, is we're sinners and our sinful nature craves to do the wrong thing and we're in constant battle. And so here's what he says. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And so all of us are going to face situations today that our sinful nature is going to call us to do the wrong thing. And he continues on and he says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And this is how we're supposed to respond. We're supposed to respond with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. We get insight into the next nine weeks. If you're going to join us on this journey, we're going to break apart every single one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we're going to learn what it means to deploy that response in life so that we can be better. You know, I said this in the last service, and I'll say this. If you're new to church, you know, many of us, we go to church each and every week, and one of the saddest things as a pastor in my heart is that when we come into this place, including me, and we open up the Word of God, and as we learn, the saddest aspect of it is that some of us will struggle with what we're going to talk about. We will walk out these doors, and we will go back home, and we will change nothing. And that is sad. And I even say, what good is it to come and to sit and to nod our heads and to say amen and say the good word, and yet we go out and we do the same thing over and over. So my prayer for all of us today is that we lean into this first fruit of the Spirit, that we find one aspect of it that we say, you know what, God, I'm not doing that. And God, you're calling me today to make a change in my life so that I can follow you and I can be a better individual, a better spouse, a better brother, a better sister, a better husband, a better wife, a better grandma, a better grandfather. At the end of the day, that's what God calls us to. So we're going to begin with the first fruit of the Spirit. And I'm going to just remind us of what it is. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love. And it's appropriate for us to begin with love. Because Paul is going to unpack what love is. Now, many of us in this room, we have no idea what love is. In fact, there's a lot of us that we say, I, I, I gave up a long time ago. But do you know that Paul actually has a definition of love? And we're going to break it down bit by bit because he is going to talk to a group of individuals in a place called Corinth. And he's going to describe exactly what love is. Watch what he says. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of us have heard this before, but watch what Paul says. Paul says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
Now, here's something that you didn't understand, because we look at that and we just ignore those, don't we? We read these passages of scriptures, and as we get into these passages, we go, okay, I don't understand what he's talking about. Let's move on to the next one. But there's insight here. Did you know in the, in the place of Corinth, the city of Corinth, they were famous for making bronze. So if you were to walk during this time period, you were to walk into Corinth, you would hear down the streets the banging of blacksmiths banging against bronze all day long. In fact, people started ignoring the sounds because they didn't mean anything. It didn't startle them. It didn't scare them. It didn't do anything. There was nothing to it because it was the norm. And Paul says, if I could speak the languages of earth, I would only be, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'd have no purpose. Does that make sense? He continues on and says this, if I have the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything that I have to the poor, if I even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Did you know this in Corinth? People used to believe so much in charity that they would look for opportunities to boast how charitable they were, and they would try to outdo each other. So some people would actually give away a lot of their possessions for the sole purpose of showing off for one another. And some people would even sacrifice their livelihood for months at a time to become an indentured servant or slave to a family just so they can turn around and say, I gave everything I did and I went into a home and I helped and I became a slave to this family. All for the purpose of showing off how charitable that they were. And Paul says, even if you gave everything away, even if you became a slave to somebody, if you didn't love you have nothing. Love is powerful. And love is difficult. And love is very, very hard for Christians to employ. So we're going to break it apart. We're going to go one by one. And I'm going to use some props to be able to help illustrate this. But we're going to break apart what is love. Love is patient. And as we talk about what it means to be patient, I can promise the problem with for a lot of us is this. That love, being patient, the truth is most of us in this room are impatient. Most of us don't show any patience, just like that guy in the car in front of me. He obviously didn't know why those individuals were stopping, didn't know there was an object in the room, and he decided with all of his might and force to be able to give my son an education about what it means to be number one. That's not patient. How many of you are married in this room today? Raise your hand. How many of you have been impatient in marriage? Raise your hand. For all of you who didn't raise your hand, you're liars. (laughs) It's hard. And Paul says, look, one of the first aspects of love is that you need to show patience. You need to be patient with one another. Now, here's the great thing about this, and that's why I love the Bible. And when you do a little insight, when you study, if you're new to Christianity, new to the Bible, sometimes you got to dig in. Do you know the truth is, is that when Paul speaks of being patient, in our humanity, what we think is be patient with the actions of others. So for instance, if you're a boyfriend, girlfriend, if you're a spouse of someone else, there are things that your spouse will do that would just get on your nerves. You know, I'm a guy who loves to be on time. I'm the guy who loves to get to the airport two hours before. I have no problem with setting up my laptop and sitting and being patient and relaxed, not sweating, running to catch a plane. To me, that's crazy. Now, to someone else that lives in my home, I won't call her out by name, my spouse, Jennifer. Anyway, she loves 
to be able to, she just wants to soak every minute of her free time and she doesn't understand why we need to sit in the airport. So if you want to see me impatient, you see me going in an airport traveling with Jennifer because I will usually be the one to say, okay, let's go, come on, we only got, come on, let's go, we got to get to the gate. Why are you stopping looking at magazines? The plane is going to board, they're boarding now. We should have been at the terminal five minutes before they're boarding. We're breaking the law. They're going to put us in airplane jail. We all get frustrated with actions of one another, but that's not what Paul's talking about when he says love is patient. And this is why it's hard. When Paul says love is patient, what he's really meaning is this, that you're not patient with the actions of others. You're actually patient with the person. You're actually patient with your spouse. No matter what they do, you're patient with your brother or sister, no matter how they're wired that you show the kind of love that displays itself with a patience of understanding that they are a, hopefully, prayerfully, a child of God and God loves them and God has a plan for them and God wired them and they might be different than you. And so you're to show the kind of love that is patient with who God made them to be. And that's hard. He continues on though and he makes it even more difficult. He says this, love is also patient and kind. And the truth is, is that I, at times, along with many others in this room, will be the opposite of kind. We'll just be flat out mean. Now, we don't like that word. And we're in church. And many people sit there and go, how dare you? How dare you say that I'm mean? Now, let me ask the question. Let's clarify this in this room. How many of you have ever done something, said something towards somebody, and it felt really good? And you knew it was wrong? but you didn't care because in the moment I'm justified, it feels good and you deserve it. How many have ever done that? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. And the truth is we're mean. We struggle at times. And what Paul is saying is you should not be mean. You should at all times remember to be kind. And here's what I love about what he means by that. He says, Terry, here's the truth. What right do you have to be mean to someone that Jesus Christ died for? What right do you have to say something like you just said to that person when Jesus Christ was willing to be beaten close to death and then have uh, spikes driven into his hands and feet and die an ugly death on their behalf? You have no right to be mean. If anybody had a right to be mean, it would have been Jesus because we put him on that cross. But Jesus isn't mean. So what right do you have to be mean? And he even doubles down and says this, Terry, if you really want to know what it means to be kind, because remember, love is patient and love is kind. What he really means about being kind is not just being, hey, your hair looks beautiful today. He doesn't mean that. He means the ultimate act of kindness is actually to serve one another. It means to actually go to church today and to say, God, who is it that needs me to love them with the kind of love that looks to help them in any manner? That God, I'm going to look for an opportunity. You know what? They're struggling today. So I'm going to look for an opportunity to serve them, to elevate them. That's what it means when Paul says, be kind. But he continues on. He says, love is patience, kind. And love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. I think we struggle a lot in the South in this. Because no matter how much we try, it's true that many of us are envious and we try to keep up with the Joneses. And there's a lot of us who struggle with being content 
We look at neighbors, we look at friends, we look at the car they drive, the house they have, and we sit there and say, oh gosh, it's not fair. They have that. I want that. It's not fair. There's no, God, it's not fair. And we learn the fact that we can't be content. I could right now pause and we could talk about contentment and we could pray and say amen and go home. Because isn't it true at the end of the day, nothing's more important than your relationship with God. Isn't that true? I'm going to say it again. At the end of the day, not resources, not the size of the house, not the size of the car, not the school that you go to, not the profession that you have. None of that matters. The only thing that matters at the end of the day is your relationship with God. And if we can get to a place where Paul says, Terry, don't be envious. Instead, I want you to start your day with waking up in the morning saying, God, at the end of the day, Every blessing that I have, every dollar that I have, the home that I have, the car that I drive all comes from you. And how dare I complain about what you've given me? We don't like that, do we? I don't like that because there's times when I look and I'm dri- I drive right now. My car is, let me do the math, my car is 13 years old. I love my car. It's 13 years old. I see some of the newest things with the newest technology and gadgets. I love technology. I love gadgets. And I would love to have a new car. And I complain, but at the end of the day, what right do I have to complain about a car that God has given me? So we need to learn to be content. And when we're content, when we have content, we also have a new word that I'm going to teach everyone today. In fact, I will laugh if you downloaded the Version Bible notes so you didn't have to take notes. They actually misspelled this in the notes because they thought that I misspelled the word. I did not. Ha ha. Wait a minute. That's wrong. I'm being mean. I shouldn't do that. Okay. Sorry. I apologize. But the new word is compersion. Everyone on the count of three say compersion. One, two, three. Compersion. Here's what compersion means. It means that instead of being envious and jealous about what someone has, that we are content how God calls us. And on top of being content, we celebrate when somebody has a blessing in their life as if, they, as if we received that blessing. Let me illustrate this. I'll never forget when my son Connor was about four years old and we signed him up for t-ball and he got up there and I'll never forget the kid that was batting before him because the kid swung and missed and he turned all the way around and he hit the ball. You've seen that, right? Connor got up, and I'll never forget when he hit his first ball, and it went down the third baseline, and we said, run, run, and Connor turned and looked at me, and he's got this big smile on his face, and he just starts running toward first base. His helmet starts going back, so his head starts going back like this, and then, don't you love it? And I'm cheering, and I'm like, run, run, and he gets to first base, and he does this, and then he turns, and he smiles, and he's like, didn't I do good? And we're all cheering. Those of you that have ever had a kid who did that, you have joy welling in your heart, don't you? It's as if you hit that ball. You feel so good about cheering them on. That's what compersion is. Is that when something happens to someone else, that you feel the same type of joy that they do when they receive it. That is the epitome of contentment. That you're able to say, I'm blessed. God bless you. Oh, how amazing that you were able to get that raise, get that job, attend that school, get that education. I'm just as proud as you. Speaking of proud, he continues on and says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, boastful, or proud. And so here's the truth. There are times when many of us are arrogant. Now, we don't like that word. It's like the mean word. And we say, Terry, that's not me. I'm not arrogant. I think all of us struggle with arrogance at times. Let me tell you why. If you've ever been proud of how you look, 
what you've accomplished, if you have a special skill that someone gives you credit and you, it makes you feel good and you take that pride and you didn't in the moment think about the fact that, wait a minute, the only reason why I have that gift, have these looks, have these resources is by the hand of God. When we don't first give him the glory, guess what? We're arrogant. We're all arrogant. Join the club. And Paul says, you want to know what the true act of love is? Is that every morning that you give up, that you get up, that you remember that nothing that you have or nothing of it, it's all because of the grace of God, which then if you're able to accomplish that this week and you wake up every morning, you say, God, I am who I am because of you. When you do that, you become humble. And that's what God calls us to be. You become humble. And when you become humble, you have the opportunity with a great heart to become an empowerer of people because people will respond to someone in humility. When you're able to live a life of humility, it attracts other people. And you're able to then pour into them because they are attracted to individuals who are not full of themselves. Isn't that true? How many of you like to be around someone who talks about themselves all the time? I don't see one hand in this room. And Paul continues on and said, for that matter, love is not rude. It's not rude at all. And again, we don't like this. And I don't have another word for it. Let's be honest. We're rude at times. We sit there at times and it makes us feel good. It makes us feel good to push someone else down. If you've ever celebrated the fact that someone has had a mishap, if you've ever been there and said, mm, yes, that's good, we're rude. And God calls us at times. No, don't be rude. Be polite. How many of you have ever heard the phrase from a mom or a dad, if you have nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. Okay, let me prove to us in this room that all of us at times are rude. You ready? How many of you are morning people? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Feel good about yourself. How many of you are not morning person? Raise your hand. All right, now morning, those of you that raise your hand, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever snapped the head off of the person that lives with you because you haven't had your coffee coffee in the morning? Raise your hand. You're lying. I know you are. You don't raise your hand. You're lying. Got a, Lord, let's just have a prayer moment right now and pray for all the liars in the room. But we do this. And when you're rude, here's what we do. Here's what we do. Here's what I do. Forget, you might all be perfect people. I'm not. When I'm rude, here's what I do. Well, God, you know what? She knows I'm not a morning person. She knows, you know what? I mean, she didn't have to say it so cheerfully. I mean, you know what? I haven't had my cup of coffee. We make all the excuses in the book. And so Paul says, don't be rude, be polite. And when you're polite, what you should really do is offer grace. And he speaks to being polite and not rude as to the same grace that God gave us. Don't miss this, don't miss this. Jesus Christ had every right to be rude to us. Think about it. He didn't sin. We did. We were the ones mocking him. We were the ones spitting at him. We were the ones doing all the filthy things that caused his death. If anybody had a right to be rude, it was Jesus. But what did Jesus offer all of us? Grace. And only Jesus Christ can offer us grace because his grace set the standard for eternal life that we enjoy today. And it speaks to this, the next one. It does not demand on its own way. And there's many of us in this room that struggle at times with being selfish. When all we do is think about ourselves. 
Do you know that in the month of October as a church, we're going to be going through a month and we're going to talk about what it means to live a generous life. And there's a friend of mine who um, hopefully will be able to get in to be able to interview him, but he speaks in a radio program all throughout the country on what it means to live a generous life. Now, it'll be an emphasis on stewardship, and I know right off the bat some of you are saying, see, that's all they ever talk about. No, we don't. We hardly ever talk about it, and that's why in October we're going to talk about it because it's not about resources. What it is about is about a heart that is generous. Did you know that God created you to be generous at all times? We just talked about what it means to love. Do I have words upside down? No. Yeah, I do. Impatient. You OCD people are going nuts right now because you know I put the impatient. All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fix it because you, you can't function. You've been kind of cursing me. You can clap for that. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. I fixed it. Now you can focus. You've missed all of this because of that. Talk about being rude. I mean, come on. I've been up here all about 20 minutes already. Come on. But did you know that God created you to be a generous person? And all of this, don't miss this. Paul speaks to what it means to love and says, look, if you all love the way God calls you to love, it means you don't take ownership and pride in anything that you have. You know everything comes from God. It also means that you believe so much in God that if he gave everything to you, he can give you more which means that if you have a generous heart and you're polite and you empower others and you see others that have need and you go ahead and say, well, God, I'm right here. I can be able to help with that need. And so I have no worry that you're going to bless me again because I can never outgive God. So you call me to be generous. So I'm going to empower and meet that need right now. I'm going to love them the way you call me to love them because you've called me to be a generous person. That's the spirit of stewardship that you can never outgive God. And when you get that, oh, there's freedom. There's freedom because what love truly is, is sacrificial. And for many of us in this room, we really don't know what it means to love because we've never loved out of sacrifice. We've only loved out of provision. And when you start to love and it hurts, then you begin to really understand what true love is. He continues on. He says this. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of wrong. Now, I can promise you that I'm irritable. I get irritable all the time. And what God really calls us to is something that I don't think a lot of us get. He calls us to be peaceful. And I want to explain this, and I used this in the first service. We look at the word peaceful and we kind of, I think we mistreat it. And I'm going to use a husband and wife example. Boyfriend, girlfriend, single adults, pay really close attention. You can live in the same house and be at odds. You can say amen to that because most marriages at times have done that. Some of you have lived like that for years. And while there is nothing said, there are walls being built and there really is no peace. And so many people in marriages and everything else, and I'm guilty of this too. I I let weeks go by and I allow walls to be built. And it's just, it's hard as human beings. It's hard to forgive one another. It's hard to be kind. It's, we hold records of wrong, don't we? What builds those walls? Something happens and we don't say anything and we hold it and we hold it and we hold it. And then every action that happens after that, we think back to that one event and then we add on to that wall and we build it farther and farther and farther until we're about to explode. And so we might sleep in the same bed as husband and wife, but the truth of the matter, there's a wall about 15 feet high between us and there's no peace. And people ask me, Terry, how do you gain peace? It's very simple. 
and I don't do it often enough. When you pray with one another, you find peace. Because the only way that you can pray is by opening your heart in front of your spouse. And when you open your heart up in front of a loved one, you break down walls. And so if you've got a wall 15 feet high in your relationship with someone else, if you want to gain peace, if you want to love with a peaceful love, you need to learn to open your heart. And you need to learn to pray. Because when you do that, you will tap into something so powerful in love. You'll find forgiveness and you'll be forgiven. Paul continues out. He says, love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And I saved another new word. I'm not going to make you repeat it because it's a tough word to respond. But there is a word that I couldn't think of that describes what it means to celebrate someone's wrongdoing. And it's a word called schadenfreude. You learned two words today. Schadenfreude. And what schadenfreude is, it's dangerous. Have you ever sat back and when you've been wronged by someone and you see that person through Facebook or through word of mouth that they had something negative happening to them and you go, ha ha, serves them right. That's what they get for that. Ha, I knew it would come back at them. See, ha ha. When you do that, that's schadenfreude. That is celebrating someone's misfortune. And that's not love. Do you know what love truly is when someone does that? Because again, I think it's hard at times, especially if you're not a Christian or if you're in this room, you're looking and saying, Terry, this is impossible. I don't know how to do this. Well, let me just share this with you. Schadenfreude, we do it, many of us. But the way that you celebrate someone is you get to the heart of love, which is this, truth. You shouldn't celebrate someone's misfortune. But I can celebrate conviction because conviction comes from God. Conviction is when God convicts the heart of someone, the Holy Spirit convicts someone of his truth. And I can celebrate anybody getting closer to God's truth, can't I? So let's stop celebrating someone's misfortune and let's start praying that God allows the Holy Spirit to bring them the truth. Because if God and the Holy Spirit bring someone the truth, it might just bring them to belief in the power of who God is. That's love. Now, when we look at these stacks, I'm sure there's a lot of us that right now, if I were to say, what are you producing? If you were to be described by one of these words, which word would it be? Which stack would it fall into? I can promise you there are a lot of words in this stack that can describe me. And I'm not happy about it. And the truth, the truth is, is that many of you have so many of these words describing your life. You say, Terry, I can't even get to this and I can't even dream of this. And that's why Paul ends this chapter on love the way that he does. Don't miss this. This is why the Bible's so cool. Watch what Paul does at the end in describing love. Take a look. Love never gives up. It never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And so Paul says to those of us in this stack, hey, it's okay, endure. You can endure. If you can endure, then you can begin to trust 
in the power that Jesus can give you. And if you can trust in that, even though your week seems down and even though you want to give up and even though you want to lean in here and not love, what Jesus says is you can hope because I'm the author of hope. And when we can't even find the strength to hope, then one thing that I would encourage you that God encourages us all the time with, and I'm not going to put it on the stack because it's going to fall, is to fight. Because I think some of you in this room have given up on love. But the most powerful of the fruits of the Spirit is love. And some of you need to learn to fight. So which stack are you in? Which word represents your life? What are you producing today? All of us, our hope is that we begin to eliminate these words from our stack and we move to a place where we can find the power in love. Now here's what we're gonna do. I'm a practical person. And so we wanna help everyone in this room this week move their stack. And the way that we're going to do it is very simple. If you have a smartphone, I want you to get it out. Go ahead and do that right now. Yes, we're in church. I'm allowing you to get your smartphone out. Some of you have been surfing ESPN all during the message. I know it. I saw it. I heard the buzzes, the updates. I understand. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to text the word power up to 55222. One word, power up to 55222. And when you do that, here's what's going to happen tomorrow. Tomorrow and every day this week, you're going to receive one practical tip on how you can deploy these aspects of love in your daily life. Very simple, just a reminder. And we're going to do that with every fruit of the Spirit all throughout the next nine weeks. And my prayer is that by the end of this series, all of us will truly know the power of love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just... Thank you so much for this message and what it means. And God, forgive us at times when we fall into the trap of of just not understanding what love really is. And and God, it begins here because over the course of the next eight weeks, we're going to learn the other fruits of the Spirit. But if we don't have love, they mean nothing. So God, I pray for marriages. I pray for boyfriends and girlfriends. I pray, God, for siblings, family members. God, I pray that they would begin to tap in to the peace that they can find in love. And I pray that you'd receive the glory in and through. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.